0: Hi friends, it's great to be with you. Um, I hope you'll be thinking of and praying for Gary while he's away that he will get good rest and restoration and uh, come back to all of us restored. Um, Gary's been doing this series through this ancient letter called Colossians that uh, Paul wrote nearly 2000 years ago. And the texts I've been given today um, If you have a Bible and you want to follow along is Colossians 3 verse 17 through chapter 4 verse 6. So we have a lot of ground to cover this week and I'm actually to create some context I'm going to read from verse 15 of chapter 3 where Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And then here's where our text this week picks up, he says, "And whatever you do, whether in word or, or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This idea to let Christ's peace rule in our hearts, uh, for Paul's original audience, it would have brought to mind the Pax Romana, which was the military-imposed peace Rome ruled by. So if there was an uprising, it would not be so peacefully squashed. Christ's peace, on the other hand, is cosmic in scope. And it's brought about, ironically, by Jesus being the victim of Roman crucifixion. If you recall in Colossians 1, we see the cosmic scope of the work of the cross. Jesus is reconciling all things, all creation, and bringing a different kind of peace, a shalom, an invitation to be truly and fully human, living a life in the way of Jesus. Whatever we do or say, we must be able to have these words signed to it in the name of Jesus. Is that how we are living our lives? It's something we usually use as a tag at the end of our prayer. In the name of Jesus, amen. Is it something that has become just a habit for us? Or is it indeed a way of life? Acting in someone's name is to represent that person and to be empowered to do so. So we should regularly ask ourselves, is this something I can sign Jesus's name to? Does it represent Jesus? and his way, when we read through the gospel stories and we look at the life and words of Jesus, are the things we are saying and doing today, are we able to sign his name to them? This is an invitation to encompass all of life. Our daily moment by moment commitment to Jesus is a natural expression of gratitude and thanksgiving. Verse 17, leads us to the next set of verses, which scholars uh, have referred to as the household code, or Paul's kind of rendering of the household code. Now, these next verses, sadly, have been used to oppress women. They've been used to defend slavery. So let's explore these verses together and find a way forward and what they might mean for us today. So first, let's remember Paul is writing nearly 2,000 years ago in a very different time and a very different culture. And he says this Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So uh, Gary decided to go away for this text and hand it off to me. Thanks, Gary. Um, You know, I don't want to dwell a long time on these verses, because we have others to get to, but we can't ignore them, can we? They're there. So... Uh, Paul moves from inviting us to do everything in the name of Jesus, and then he moves to relationships in the home, and then to what we would uh, consider work relationships, and then we'll see in the next set of verses he gets to relationships in the world. So Paul is addressing people in his day, in his way, and what looks like to be some pretty oppressive language is actually quite progressive for Paul in his day. So let's, let's look at that and how that could be. So in Paul's day, there were household codes that gave men rule over their wives, over their children, and over their slaves, and they could treat them in any way they saw fit. So Paul is actually taking people in his culture a click forward by saying there is a greater responsibility here. In the Greco-Roman household code, there is never a mention that husbands should love their wives. And as we know, the biblical understanding of love is always self-giving love. It is serving others. For children, Paul is taking people a click forward. Children in the ancient world were considered property. And Paul is saying they are to be treated as fully human. They are relational beings. They are owed a dignity as human beings. Parents are called to cultivate the gifts God has given their children and to be careful not to discourage them. In the first century, one third of the population of Greece and Italy were enslaved. Just imagine that. 2,000 years ago, you're in Greece or Italy, one out of three people you see are enslaved. Paul is pushing masters here to treat their slaves as fully human and to remember there is only one true master. Human masters must not function according to their rights, but according to an ethic of love that recognizes that God does not play favorites. Paul says in everything you do, do it in the name of Jesus. Paul is pushing his culture forward, showing that all of life from creation on is brought under and held together in Christ. Paul makes clear that those who are in power must use their power to care for those who are oppressed by the system. In Paul's day, that included women, children, and slaves. True power expresses itself as loving service. We see this in Jesus all the time, don't we? Jesus knew the divine power he possessed, and yet he expresses that power through loving service, like washing the feet of his disciples. And ultimately, we see that power expressed in love and self-giving love on the cross. And it's that cruciform pattern that we are invited to live out as we express our love to God and others. This universal divine pattern of dying to self and living a life of love. So what do we do with this text today? It seems clear to me that the Bible is always pushing human history and consciousness forward into greater love and equality. It is important for us to understand the moral truths we are called to live out from scripture While recognizing the need to live those out by moving social issues like women's rights, slavery, and human equality forward. Let's take slavery as an example. Our own country was largely built off the enslavement of an entire people group. People use this very text in Colossians to justify it. Yet, by God's grace, people woke up to the evils of slavery, and we moved from slavery to outlawing slavery, to segregation, to civil rights. And we know we still have a long way to go, don't we, when it comes to race relations and women's equality and many other social issues. But hopefully, we are continuing to move forward. There is a continual invitation to greater awareness, greater consciousness, greater freedom, dignity, and love for all. Paul was writing 2,000 years ago to people in his day the best he knew how by pushing people a click forward on social issues. We are invited to live out an ethic of love in our day while pushing folks forward on social issues to ensure equality for all. Paul especially pushed people forward in his day when he wrote these words, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. These words were absolutely radical in Paul's day. So I wonder, in what way are we living out the radical way of Jesus's love in our day to speak on behalf of those who are most vulnerable and at risk? History is going someplace, and we are invited to keep pushing culture forward in the way of Jesus. We can also look at how we ourselves are engaging our family in work relationships in the name of Jesus. Can we sign Jesus's name to how we interact with those closest to us? When I get upset at my kids and let them know it, I quickly realize that was not my true heart. I couldn't sign Jesus's name to that. When I react with frustration or anger, it's not something I can sign Jesus's name to. I want to live more fully alive with the peace of Jesus ruling in my heart so that I can more and more do everything in the name of Jesus. Clearly, there's much more to explore as it relates to this particular text, uh, but it's probably best left for a different context than a Sunday morning Zoom. Uh, So let's keep moving. Chapter four, verse two, Paul says, devote yourselves being watchful and thankful paul is constantly talking about being thankful he's he's said thanks or gratitude four times just in the verses we've read so far so let's just take a break for a second let's get everybody involved i would love it if you would write something in the chat what is something that you are grateful for that is something where you have seen Thanksgiving and gratitude, where gratitude has welled up in your heart this past week. Would you, uh, would you put that in the chat for us all to see and experience with you? I wonder if being thankful has something to do with the capacity to do things in the name of Jesus. I wonder if it has something to do with the peace of Christ being present in us. I wonder if being grateful has something to do with being devoted to prayer. Let's see here. My husband, God's patience with me and love for me. I'm grateful for Anne Marie and Tim. Uh, I'm grateful for Anne Marie. Tim said that. Reconnecting with old friends, time with my family. My dad, one of my kids wrote that. <laughs> I swear I didn't pay her to do that. Uh, I'm grateful for the cooler weather, and Tim. That's from Anne Marie. My family, my home, my work, my health, reconnecting with my brother. These are great. Thank you. God's provision, peace, and guidance. Uh, I read this yesterday, and it hit home. What if you woke up today with only the things you thanked God for yesterday? That's great. Thank you all for sharing. I think gratitude and thanksgiving has something to do with just changing our own interior in a way that wakes us up to God's presence all around us. What might it look like to integrate a gratitude practice into your daily rhythm? at dinner or the end of your day to reflect on your day and simply name that which you were grateful for. It might just begin to shift our consciousness in ways that surprise us. Paul is all about prayer as a way of life. As he says elsewhere, pray without ceasing. So he's not saying always be verbally interceding to God, but rather be aware of God's presence within you and all around you. See God everywhere or as Paul says right here be watchful and thankful when we have an attitude of gratitude it is prayer when we are watchful for God's presence all around us it is prayer every moment is an opportunity to wake up to God's presence i love the stanza from Elizabeth Barrett Browning where she says earth's earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush, a fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. Many ancient rabbis have said that when God appears to Moses in the burning bush, that it was not the first time God appeared in a burning bush to try to get Moses' attention. It was simply the first time Moses actually noticed. We are invited to pay attention to God's presence all around us. As Barbara Brown Taylor says, earth is so thick with divine possibility that it is a wonder we can walk anywhere without cracking our shins on altars. There's this practice called a sit spot. Native cultures have been practicing this for millennia. It's simply you identify a place, preferably in your own yard or close to your home, a place you can return to often and sit in the silence and absorb the presence of God all around you. You take notice of how the ecosystem around you is slowly changing and evolving, just like you are slowly changing and evolving. We often want our transformation to happen like fast food. We want it to happen right away. It most often does not work that way. Our transformation is not immediately visible. It is the slow work of God in us, just as the changing of the seasons slowly happens around us. A life characterized by prayer recognizes our dependence on the Creator who holds all things together. We are invited to live in right relationships, reconciled in and through Christ. Paul continues and says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, make the most of every opportunity, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul is writing this letter from prison and he continues this theme of doing everything in the name of Jesus, moving from family relationships to work relationships to all people. There's no heavy burden here to convert anyone, rather a way of being in the world that is different, a way of wise living, love, kindness, joy, and hope, to see the divine image in each person you encounter and have conversations of grace with the capacity to answer everyone. So it's not a monologue telling other people what you believe and what you think they should believe, but a conversation that lives into the Christ mystery the mysterious rhythm of death and resurrection there is a way of talking about our faith without being dogmatic about it i remember one time i was in a public space reading a book about the passage in john 4 where jesus talks with a samaritan woman at the well and this guy who was sitting near me he asked what i was reading so i told him and he mentioned that he went to church sometimes when he was a kid but hadn't been in many years and so we continued talking, and I simply told him what I was reading about and the story of the woman at the well and Jesus. And he kept saying things like, Jesus said that? Jesus did that? Here's the thing. So many people in our culture have an image of Christianity that is negative because of what they hear in the news or because they think God is a punitive God who is out to get them. They don't have a sense of the all-embracing love of who God really is and who Jesus really was and is. I like to talk to people about Jesus in terms of the rhythm of the universe. Uh, With friends I have who love science but want nothing to do with God, when we have conversations about things that we both have commonality around, the cycle of death and renewal, that is embedded in the universe. That's where we can find common ground. We need new, creative, and innovative ways to have faith conversations with people. I find that many people are curious and very open to conversation, but they want nothing to do with institutional religion. We are called to go out in the name of Jesus and first of all, live differently, with great love and service, and then have salty, grace-filled conversations that are attractive and hope-filled this is part of the mystery i believe we are invited to proclaim in the way we live jesus's death and resurrection name and reveal what is happening everywhere all the time in god and in everything god creates the divine mystery of transformation is seen in the entire universe This is why elsewhere, Paul talks about us being united with Christ in suffering, in death, and in resurrection. We are invited into oneness with Christ in living out the pattern of loss and renewal. Part of the mystery is that God uses the things we think will destroy us to transform us. The brokenness, the heartache, the hurt, even our own sin, this is the constant pattern of all growth and the constant invitation of transformation. That is something universal to all humans. Suffering leads to either deep bitterness or deep transformation. That is common ground we can talk about with others, isn't it? The mystery revealed in the death and resurrection of Jesus is the mystery we are invited to mirror. God is infinitely self-emptying. Love is the shape of the universe. The very nature of God is love. God doesn't decide to love us based on our behavior. God is love. And that love extends in and through Jesus, showing us how to live into the mystery of death and resurrection. We avoid death experiences, however, don't we? Yet in avoiding death, we are ironically avoid a full life. The old self always has to die more in order for the true self to be born. Yet we resist this experience. I don't like it, who wants to experience loss and heartache? Who wants to die to themselves? Yet Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Here, Jesus again shows us from the rhythm of nature itself that it is the rhythm we are invited into. The transformational journey of death and resurrection is a huge part of the message. The divine presence is in you and flows through you, but allowing it to flow doesn't come easily, does it? That is one of the reasons why Jesus left us the gift of bread and wine two natural elements from the earth, both of which require a seed to die in order to produce grain and grapes. The very elements Jesus gave us to remember his death by, those very elements went through a death experience in order to become what they are now. When we partake of the bread and wine, it is to remember Jesus's death and resurrection and we reenact that death. We say yes to the divine rhythm of the universe. We say yes to the Christ mystery. We say yes to the universal pattern of death and resurrection, of loss and renewal. The biblical narrative as a whole is a tale of a suffering God who will stop at nothing to reconcile this broken world. This God pursues you and me and invites us to live out of the Christ mystery here and now in our world in the way Paul lived it out in his own day. So let's reenact that mystery together. If you have uh, bread and grape juice or wine and would like to partake in this with us, I invite you to go ahead and get that. Uh, My own wife made a loaf of bread this morning and I have a piece of it. And so when we take this bread, we remember the Christ mystery. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Great is the mystery of Christ. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ is coming again and great is the mystery of Christ in us. We are invited to die. We are invited to rise each day. God, thank you for this space and to be with people in uh, an incredible way over this technology. God, thank you for the ancient Christ mystery that you have embedded into the rhythm of the universe. I pray that each of us would live into this rhythm of loss and renewal, of death and resurrection. May we be a people who can move forward and do everything in the name of Jesus. Amen.